busy, busy day. <laughs> yeah, it was, was. and a and a a pretty big cabinet makeover. So, the premier moved. Uh, John Eby moved about half of the ministers that he uh, inherited from John Horgan, and I mean, dumped two of them. Uh, he elevated eight backbenchers to cabinet, and I think that was more than most of us expected to see. And uh, he added two new ministries. So it's a big cabinet, 27 ministers, 28 uh, members of cabinet, if you include the premier, 29 if you include that they carried over Melanie Mark as a minister without portfolio. That was the, that happened under Horgan. So it's a big cabinet. The room is big. I think there's still enough room in it. They don't have to add too many chairs, but... Uh, this, and they're going to be a busy group. I mean, huge, huge challenges here. Jill, uh, Premier said once again, uh, no way is he thinking of an early election. He's really committed to that October 19th, 2024 date that the New Democrats wrote into legislation. But, you know, <laughs> he can ha- thank John Horgan for everyone's skepticism on that. We all remember that Horgan told us all that he didn't uh, wasn't thinking of an early election until almost the moment he called one. So. Yeah, and and imagine if he changed that messaging now. You can't go from saying yes, I'm committed to fixed election dates. If he even wavered a tiny bit, people would be all over it. So, so oh, even you're if right. He, if yeah. he hinted even slightly, yeah. then everything he did would be interpreted against the backdrop of an early election. But. But some of that is going to happen anyway because of what Horgan did, right? I mean, he just cooked up two or three reasons for calling an early election and did it. And at the press conference where he announced it, that he was doing it, you know, he claimed that he he climbed out of bed on the morning of the Saturday and said to his wife, you know what, dear, I think I need an early election, right? (laughs) He pretended that he hadn't been working toward that and cooking up excuses. So... Look, uh, give E.B. the benefit of the doubt now, but retain your skepticism. Don't be too surprised if he comes to you, listener, in spring of this year, fall of next year. Sorry, spring of uh, 2023, fall of 2023, spring of 2024, and says, you know what, I need a new mandate, and I've got reasons for it, and things have changed, and blah, 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 and we're going to have an early election. So I still think it's a possibility, but right now uh, there are more pressing priorities and some cabinet ministers with big, big challenges that were handed to them yesterday. Uh, Let's talk about those. One of the biggest Mm -hmm. moves, uh, Nikki Sharma, Attorney General. And what do you think the the priority is there, or what is uh, Nikki Sharma going to be faced with right out of the gates? I mean, look, it was the most emotional moment yesterday. She got a standing ovation. She got choked up. Her parents were in the front row. They got choked up. Uh, First South Asian woman as an AG in British Columbia, although we did have a South Asian AG before. That was Ujjal Dosanjh. A big challenge there because E.B. repeated his big four priorities, so housing, health care, dealing with the cost of living, and public safety. Well, there's a public safety minister, Mike Farnworth, but you've got to work with the attorney general on that matter. And when you look at her mandate letter, she's got a bunch of things she has to do on that. So... 
uh, new minister elevated straight from the back bench, uh, only in the legislature two years. Yes, a lawyer with some experience, but this is going to be a tough one. I, it, you know, Joan, when she got interviewed, and she did a brief interview with reporters, obviously she's only been in the job for 30 minutes, so you're not going to say too much. But I noticed one thing she said when she was asked. She has some experience uh, working with the disadvantaged, and she said that in dealing with the public safety issue and crime, you have to look at root causes. Well, uh, you know, uh, you do, and that is an NDP theme. But my guess is if you're trying to make the public happy, at this point they're more interested, a lot of people, in greater safety on the streets, in the people that are perpetrating violence, uh, being dealt with, on repeat offenders being locked up, uh, root causes is a long-term issue. You do have to deal with it, but I think there's some short-term crime-fighting priorities that the public has, and I don't know how much patience they're going to have for an AG who's more interested in working on dealing with root causes. No, it's a good point. People want to see action or they want to see some change uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, what about uh, finance? Another big move there. Yeah, a big move. Um, and, you know, everybody, afterward you go, well, how did that happen? So what happened was that the premier did not, David Eby, get along all that well with Selena Robinson. They had clashed. Uh, Eby was removed from the Treasury Board Committee of Cabinet. John Horgan removed him because he and Robinson, who was then the finance minister and chairs that committee, uh, they were fighting, and Horgan wasn't going to fire his finance minister, so he removed E.B. And that's the, you know, and then they had a very different approach on housing. So E.B. decides he, for those reasons, he's going to replace Robinson. But E.B. was also very mindful of something about gender balance in government. So gender balance in at the cabinet table can simply mean half of your ministers are women. But E.B. was also concerned that, like, who does the public see as the face of the government? Well, health care is a big deal, and that's Adrian Dix, and the premier is a man, and the public safety minister is Mike Farnworth, and Ravi Kalon is going to be a big minister. So you really needed gender balance at the top jobs. So that's why you ended up with a woman as attorney general, and she is qualified. And when EB decided to replace... Uh, Robinson, he had to find a senior minister who'd been in the government for a while, who'd sat on Treasury Board, that committee of cabinet that shapes the budget, and who had handled a big, difficult ministry already. And that's why he moved Katrina Conroy out of Forest, where she wanted to stay, she told us that, and into finance. Uh, really, uh, they, there weren't a lot of other women in the cabinet who had the depth of experience that Conroy did to replace Robinson, and that's how she ended up there. Interesting. Um, and when we talk about the, the fighting, what, why did they not get along? Was it BC Housing, or what is the tension it was, there? It was a very different approach. So it was, uh, you know, Robinson as housing minister was a former municipal councillor. She brought in a housing plan that said very little about increasing uh, the supply of housing. She pledged to work with local government. And EB came in and said the biggest problem we have there is 
uh, housing for the missing middle. So not just social housing, which the government was doing under Robinson, but housing for the missing middle. And he also said, we're going to have to take on a municipal government. EB had never been in municipal government. So uh, Robinson was sympathetic. EB was not sympathetic to local government, and he pushed that. And then, of course, he inherited BC Housing, and it turned out to be a big mess. That's the government agency that actually builds social housing. And just before he stepped down to run for the NDP leadership, E.B. replaced the board at B.C. Housing. Well, the people he replaced were all Selena Robinson appointees. So, you know, uh, they don't talk too much about not getting along, but there was plenty of evidence that those two did not see things the same way. All right. And Vaughn, one other point uh, I know you were looking at and some criticism and certainly a lot of questions uh, that Mitzi Dean is still in children and families. So the premier executed a major reversal uh, last week and he did it all by himself. He called reporters in uh, and uh, not last week, the week before and said, you know, uh, the government has been promising to phase out funding for individualized plans for children with autism, and that's wrong, and it's caused a lot of stress for parents, and we're not doing that. That's not happening. And the minister, who had been defending that for a year and giving all kinds of not very effective rationalizations for it, Mitzi Dean, um, remains in cabinet. And Evie was asked about that yesterday, you know, given that you reversed her on this big issue, why didn't you fire her or move her? And he said, well, she's done some other things that are very good. Uh, Interestingly, our colleague Rob Shaw of Czech, who does sometimes appear on Simi's show when I'm not available, uh, asked for an interview with Mitzi Dean, uh, turned down. She wouldn't do it. So whatever there is behind this, and there may be more to the story, it remains one of the mysteries of the cabinet shuffle, trying to figure out why the premier stuck by Mitzi Dean when he didn't stick by her stand on uh, funding for uh, parents of children with autism. All right. Uh, lots happening when it comes to the new cabinet and the new direction. Vaughn, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.